God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of generations, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. The first reading today is from the New Testament, book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. That'll be found on page 1027 in your pew Bible. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely, then, now we must be, have been justified by his blood. Will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God of all goodness, we come to you this morning from different places, in body, heart, and mind. Unite us through the Holy Spirit, place us on common ground, and allow us to hear something of your word in the words shared. Be in this space, O oh God. Assure us of our belonging. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It is a joy to be here with you today, and I'd like to extend a big thank you to all of Mount Pleasant Presbyterian, and especially to Pastor Bynum for having me here. Um, I'm very grateful to all of you. It is both a beautiful and horrible thing to be asked to preach with no parameters. The Bible is not exactly a short book, and I've only just begun my second year of seminary. Fortunately, I am surrounded by friends and scholars who illuminate new insights for me daily. And recently, I experienced today's text from Genesis 32 in a new light, 
And I want to invite you to experience it with me, perhaps in a new way yourself this morning. Hear now the word of God. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man said to Jacob, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But the man said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. It's a funny feeling to be left alone. It can happen one of a few ways. There's the welcome alone, the kind where you find yourself in an empty house with no agenda It's quiet. You can eat whatever you want. Maybe try out that new dance move you've seen your kids or friends doing but haven't quite figured out. My mom loves the welcome alone. Then there's the longing alone, which often accompanies times of transition. The quiet nights at home are no longer welcome, but rather a reminder that you're in a new place without the comforting elements of where you once were. And finally, there's an apprehensive alone, or a worrisome alone. And this, I believe, is where we find Jacob in our scripture reading today. You all remember the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Twins born to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau, the older, hairier brother who was to receive Isaac's blessing, and Jacob, the younger, born holding on to Esau's heel. Hence his name, Jacob, which means heel catcher in Hebrew. He was Rebekah's favorite. In short, Jacob tricks his father into blessing him rather than Esau, which in turn infuriates Esau. The two are not exactly on good terms. Our text picks up right as Jacob is left alone. He is about to see Esau, the brother with whom he hasn't historically gotten along with. I feel quite certain that Jacob, in this moment, was feeling apprehensively alone. 
Esau was so mad at me, he must have thought. What if, after all these years of not seeing one another, he is still just as angry? What if he still wants to kill me? God, bless me. I imagine Jacob's heart was pitter-pattering. He had a tight stomach and fidgety hands, restless legs. We know those feelings well. They're the feelings I felt last September as I started seminary, so uncertain of my surroundings and the journey ahead. They're the feelings that accompany any student on their first day of school, the ones that sit with mothers, fathers, and guardians as they drive away from the new college campus of a beloved child. The feelings that reside in hospital rooms and in the silence of hard conversations. These feelings come often at pivotal moments in our lives, moments when uncertainty stands before us and we find ourselves carrying a sense of both hope and fear. You may have felt them just the other week as Dorian made its way up the South Carolina coast, threatening to change the landscapes of your lives. Maybe you too were saying, God, bless me. Now, right after we hear of Jacob being left alone, we learn that he wrestles with a man until daybreak. I know this may catch you by surprise, but I am no wrestler. Under the guidance of a dear professor at Columbia, I recently explored this passage and was asked, upon reading this verse, to stand up, partner up with a classmate, and begin wrestling. There we were, a handful of seminary students, wrestling in the middle of a classroom. Thank goodness no one walked by, or theological education might now be entirely in question. We wrestled for a minute, 60 seconds in which I developed an ever-so-thin sheet of sweat on my forehead. It was not easy, and at the end I was left out of breath, and with muscles that felt like jello. A typical wrestling match runs for a total of six minutes and is broken into three two-minute periods. If you ask any wrestler at the end, you are exhausted. So to wrestle until daybreak is a bit unfathomable. Jacob's exhaustion would have been all-consuming which was the point my professor intended for us to understand through the exercise of wrestling one another. As day breaks and as Jacob clings to the man he's been wrestling, we learn of the driving force behind his persistence. I will not let you go, he says, unless you bless me. Exhaustion was worth a blessing. Remember that Jacob has been apprehensively alone in a liminal space, praying for God's blessing. In his uncertainty of what's ahead, Jacob wants to be blessed. And isn't that our common story? 
that in the liminal spaces of our lives, when we ourselves are wrestling, we want to be blessed. In Jacob, we find this shared human condition. We wrestle, no matter how exhausting, in the confident pursuit and hope of receiving a blessing. Jacob's request is not dismissed, and it's not lost in the wind. Rather, it comes in the form of a question we are all familiar with. What is your name? Nearly seven months ago, my nephew was born, and he is named after my father, Mark Dickerson McAllister. Mac, for short. Mac is named after his paternal grandfather, just as his father, my brother, is named after his paternal grandfather. There is meaning embedded in his name. As they considered names, my brother and sister-in-law felt certain they wanted a family name. Others, they said, felt thin, flimsy, disconnected. In Mac's name, and in so many of our names, is a blessing, an identity, and an embodiment of what is hoped for us. Names, in and of themselves, have the potential to establish our belonging. You shall no longer be called Jacob, the man says, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. In his renaming, Jacob is gifted the identity of God-wrestler, the Hebrew meaning of the name Israel. This is a name that is anything but thin, flimsy, and disconnected. This is a name that carries with it a renewal of spirit, a baptism, a secure belonging, and call to active, purposeful living. A friend of mine who changed their name not long ago expressed that names are inseparable from how we participate in connection, meaning-making, and calling. His name change, I was told, was an act of reconciliation to himself, to his community, and ultimately to God. His name change has shifted the way he feels seen, known, and joined to the world around him. And so it is with Jacob, now Israel. As I continued to wrestle with this text, I realized that what pinned me was Jacob, now Israel's, counterstatement to the man he wrestled. Please tell me your name. Could it be that in this question, the very same one the man just asked, that Israel also wanted to extend a blessing? That in being blessed, in being named, Israel felt called and equipped to do the same? Please tell me your name, he says. Israel is politely adamant in returning the very blessing he himself has asked for. What would our communities, our congregations, our families, schools look like if we too were politely adamant in returning the very blessings we have been given? 
think for a moment about the communities to which you belong, the communities that have called you by name, blessed you. Write them down, just there in your bulletin. I'm a teacher, I was. I can tell if you're not paying attention right now. You might include your family, nuclear or extended. You might include your classrooms at school, your alma mater, your neighborhood, cohort at work, small group or sports team. You might include Mount Pleasant Presbyterian, who I trust has called you each by name time and time again. Some of you might have been baptized here and asked by way of your guardians the same question that Jacob was asked. What is your name? In this question, we are plucked up from that place of feeling apprehensively alone and set down carefully into what poet Mary Oliver referred to as our place in the family of things. For it is only when we belong and when we find our place in the family of things that we are able to rise as the dawn breaks and to pass along in preparation of extending blessings unto others. The reminder of this call upon Israel's life and upon all of our lives comes in the form of Israel's limp, which he notices as the day breaks as the sun rises, and as he stands to leave. Not a step will be taken without remembrance of his wrestling match with God or the experience of being named and renewed, identified and known, called and equipped, placed in the family of things. In a few short moments, you too will stand to leave. And while you may not have a limp, a bodily reminder of your own wrestling with God and of the promised sense of belonging that comes at the end of that wrestling, you have been named. A blessing has been given to you. And in turn, you are called to go out and pronounce blessings yourself. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, that to pronounce a blessing on something is to see it from the divine perspective. To pronounce a blessing is to participate in God's own initiative. To pronounce a blessing is to share God's own audacity. She continues to write that anyone can bless, and that we are able to bless one another at all is evidence that we have been blessed whether we can remember when or not. That we are willing to bless one another is a miracle enough to stagger the very stars. Think again to that list, written or just held in your heart, of the people and places that have named you, people and places that have reminded you of your belonging, blessing you by doing so, and strengthening you before it comes time for the next wrestling match. How might you return this blessing? How might you be audacious enough to share in God's own audacity of pronouncing blessings? This is our shared Christian call. 
May we seek out ways to do so, even if it causes us to limp. May we move forward from the wrestling arenas of our lives and the seasons of feeling apprehensively alone into a season where we become the bestowers of blessings, named ones giving names, openers of the door to belonging through the simple intention of pronouncing blessings. May we stagger the stars. All thanks be to God.